Hey, my name is Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. All right, go ahead and grab a seat, church, if you haven't already. Welcome. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Looking so wonderful this morning. And we're really excited to be kicking off our new series, Every Everyday Missionaries. How many people, show of hands, how many people have heard of Hudson Taylor? Oh, well, guess what? You're going to hear about him again. Um, so for those who haven't heard about him, let me introduce you to Hudson Taylor. He was an extraordinary missionary, someone who shared the gospel. He was born in Barnsley in, in the UK in the 19th century, so... Uh, in 1832 is when he was born. He's the son of James and Amelia Taylor. Uh, James is, uh, was his dad, and he was a Methodist lay preacher and a pharmacist. And, and he brought Hudson up as a young man uh, who loved God. And, and they brought him up in the Methodist church, and they poured the Word of God into him and shared it with him as a young child. And as a teenager, um, sadly, he walked away from it all. He, he walked away from church. He walked away from God. His mother, Amelia, she was um, what people like to describe in a church, people who pray regularly, uh, as a prayer warrior. Uh, and she would pray and she would pray, yearning for her son to come back to Jesus. Um, and at the age of 17, Hudson Taylor, he was on his school holidays and, and he was bored and he was kicking around the house and he went into his father's study and there was a basket in the study of gospel tracks. And, and a gospel track is just something that is given out to other people and has a short message inside. Uh, about Jesus, and he picked it up, uh, this track, and he, he said he had some time to kill, so he thought he would read through this gospel track. When he started to read through this, suddenly the gospel of Jesus Christ really hit home to him. It came alive to him, and before he left his study, he was on his knees, and he was praising God, and he understood what it meant to be saved, to be a follower of Jesus, and the gospel came alive to him in his life. At that moment, um, when he was on his school holidays, his mom was taking a holiday of her own, and she was away. And, and after she returned, after 10 days after that, um, he, he, and after he came back to Jesus, he went to the front door, and you can imagine this depiction just in your heads, that he was so excited to greet his mother to tell her of the good news, this amazing news that he'd given his life to Jesus. As she met him at the door, she said this, I know my boy. I already know. I've been rejoicing for the last fortnight about the good news that you're about to tell me about. And he was like, well, how do you know that? Well, Hudson said, uh, or she replied, a fortnight ago, I was just about to eat my lunch and I went into the room to eat my lunch and I locked the door and I decided that I was going to pray. And so she gave herself to prayer on his behalf and she prayed and prayed and she, until she could pray no longer. And she felt the Holy Spirit just whisper to her, it's done. It's done. It's been answered. And she stopped praying and she left the room and she started to rejoice that her son had been found. A few months after his conversion, after him coming to Jesus, Hudson Taylor, he, was, he began one afternoon to pray and he, he wrote this le later on describing this, that he had this unreserved uh, uh, consecration of, that he put it on the altar and he gave everything to Jesus. He had this moment in his life where he just sacrificed everything. I'm giving everything to you, Jesus. And through this um, conviction and this calling that Hudson Taylor then found in his life, he started to have a heart for the nation of China. He began studying and looking into the culture of China, learning about all that he could. And remember, this is the 19th century, so there wasn't Google. So he would have done, you know, book study. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, it's books that he would have used. Uh, and at the same time as studying um, all about China, he actually started to study medicine as well, just on the side note. He began working as a medical assistant while studying medicine, and he devoted himself to giving to the poor and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. He would stand up on the street corners, and he would preach the gospel, and guess what? He would use the very same track that he read himself in his father's study to share the gospel with people. He believed in faith that God would provide everything that he needed to get through his studies and also to be motivated to reach people. 
And then a day came in 1853, at the age of just 21, halfway through his medical studies, Hudson took this, just listen to this, he took a six-month boat journey from Liverpool to Shanghai. We don't half appreciate how quick we can get across the country these days. Six months journey from Liverpool to Shanghai, and the boat actually nearly sank three times while he was on the boat. It was a disastrous journey, but finally he arrived. He stepped off the boat, and after six months, after six months onto the soil of China, and guess what? There was a civil war in China at the time, which he didn't know about because, again, there was no Google. The circumstances were terrible. It was awful. But despite this, he decided that he would continue to pursue sharing the gospel with those in China. And 18 times, he made different preaching tours right throughout China. It was absolutely revolutionary at the time for missionaries. Um, But Hudson Taylor really struggled to connect with the local people. Even though he was going around sharing the gospel, he felt like he truly couldn't connect with the local people. So he had this radical idea that he would buy some clothes that people wore locally, and he would begin to dress like they do. He also put his hair in a ponytail and shaved his forehead. And this is what he wore. Some people thought this was just madness. But it was actually revolutionary to do it at this time. And suddenly he found himself being accepted more and more by people locally. Five years into his missionary time there, um, he met uh, the daughter of another missionary. They fell in love and they got married. And together they began this extraordinary work as a couple. Unfortunately, Hudson Taylor also experienced terrible health. Um, And after having a couple of kids, they needed to return back to England so that he could rest and recuperate and get back to full health. And while he was doing this, while he was back home in the UK recovering from ill health, he decided that a good way to rest would be to translate the New Testament into Ningbo dialect. While he was back, he also completed his medical studies and he wrote a book. Great way to rest, Hudson. The book that he wrote was called China's Spiritual Needs and Claims. And it was the catalyst for the interest and the sympathy and the prayer work that went on in China. It was a very influential book at the time, and it was outlined in it that while he was in China, he had researched and he had worked out that there had been, and this is back in the 1800s, remember, 380 million people, Chinese people, who had never heard the gospel. Imagine that number today. Imagine now the number today. And the phrase that he used, that there was roughly a million people a month passing into a Christless eternity. As you can sense, he really had a heart for, the, for, for these people. It was frightful to think of that number would be today. And Hudson Taylor, while finishing his studies, while translating the New Testament, while writing a book, he also started a mission organization. He's a really good wrestler, this guy. And um, it was called OMF, Overseas Mission Fellowship, and it's still going strong today. He gathered 16 missionaries, himself, his wife, and his kids, the largest party of missionaries that would go into China up until this point. And they all dressed, wearing the outfits, with their hair and ponytails, and shaved their foreheads. It was scandalous at the time. But they were making an incredible impact, because there was other missionaries there, and they were trying to make China look like Britain. But Hudson Taylor was convinced that we actually needed to affirm the culture to reach people, and this is what they did. And they began reaching and going into China further and further, into different districts of China. But unfortunately, again, ill health hit the the. the Hudson's family, very badly, and he lost his wife. They had eight children, and out of those eight children, the first four died at infancy. Hudson Taylor was widowed, he was weakened, and again he returned back to the UK for another two years. While he was back, he had an accident and had spinal, uh, and a spinal injury, which meant he couldn't walk. He was literally bedbound for two years, But again, that didn't stop stop Hudson Taylor because he felt the call of God on his life. And what he did was that in his bed that he was in for two years at bed rest, he had a massive uh, map put down the end of his bed where he would spend every day, every morning and every night continually praying for China. He said this one time, that the sun has never risen in China without God finding me in prayer for her. It's incredible, right? Hudson Taylor spent a total of 54 years in China. The, the society that he began, the Chinese Inland Mission, um, was responsible for sending 800 missionaries into the country. As they would join him, he would say to them, if you're here for a comfortable life, 
you're on the wrong trip. That was his recruitment. If you're here for a comfortable life, you're on the wrong trip. They started 125 schools. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Chinese people were converted. There was 300 workstations right throughout every district. Every area in China had mission work in it. And by the time Hudson Taylor died, it was the largest uh, Protestant mission agency in the world when he, had, when he passed on. It was incredible. One of the most remarkable figures in Christian history. He had this unquenchable hunger for God. And despite all those knockbacks, I don't know about you, but there'd be some of us in this room who, if we're honest, probably would have given up. But despite all those knockbacks and all those poor health, he continued to work tirelessly. He actually, as well as all of that, um, he spoke several different Chinese languages, and he was an amazing preacher in every one of those languages. Just an incredible man. But here's the message that I want you to take home from what Hudson proclaimed. He said these words about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. So many of us here who are regular to church would know what the Great Commission is, but for those who don't, I want to share that with you. So it's in your Bibles at Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. It's Jesus speaking. Then, the, uh, speaking to, then the, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So over the next few weeks, we're going to preach a short series focusing on everyday missionaries. And you saw the video at the start there. The, the church that we belong to, the, the, big, the big church that is part of like the followers of Jesus Christ, what we call the church, is a movement of everyday missionaries. And that means that we live missionally. It's not just for our mission partners overseas around the world. It's actually right here for us in Palmerston North as well. And this series is designed to help equip uh, us to live missionally every day where we find ourselves. Understand this, the Great Commission is unmistakable, unavoidable, undoubtable, a mandate for mission. For as church, we partner as missionaries together. You know, as, as missionaries here that we support, and we've just talked about two of them this morning, we support them uh, financially, we pray for them, uh, and we're going to continue to highlight them over the next few weeks, sharing about how these amazing men and women who've answered God's call on their life, and they're, they're doing amazing work to reach out to those who are lost. And we will continue to support them. And it's, it's been our heritage here as a church for a long, long time. It's our identity and it's a priority for us to support missions globally and locally. Excuse me, I need a cough and I'm going to turn this off. But the thing is, missions isn't a department. It's our DNA. It's not just a ministry, okay? It's who we are. We don't partner with missionaries or just partner with a missionary. We are, in fact, all missionaries. Missionaries isn't just about an excursion or a trip that we go on. It should be an everyday experience, just like how Alan shared earlier about parents inputting into their kids as well. We're all missionaries, those of us who follow Jesus. We have a charge upon our life. We've got a command from God to reach the world, and it's our responsibility, and it's our duty. So let's put it like this. You have a charge to reach the world. It is your responsibility and it is your duty to do it. And I challenge this for our church community, as well as myself, of course. I'm part of that. There's an author called Robertson McQuilkin. He wrote a very short book called The Great Omission, not The Great Commission, The Great Omission. And the subtitle was this, Why do, we t why do, why do you, uh, so few take the gospel to the unevangelized? Why do so few take the gospel to the unevangelized? And in this short book, he outlines that the church has a problem. If we took the Great Commission seriously, we would get the job done. But we get carried away and we get caught up in things that have not been given to us in the Great Commission, and we get distracted by them and we lose our focus. But we are mandated for mission. We are called to step out in mission. It is our responsibility. 
You see, remember when Jesus gathered the disciples together again another time, he was going through the towns and villages. In Matthew chapter 9, you can read about this, verses 35 to 38. And he's going around teaching in the synagogues, and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and he's healing people from every sort of disease and sicknesses, and he sees the crowds. And in verse 36 of Matthew 9, he says this, He is compassionate upon them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he gets his disciples and he says to them, and the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So what Jesus is saying here, the issue is not the harvest. There's plenty of people who need to know about Jesus. The issue, Jesus tells us, is with the workers. We are the issue, we, and we spend, I know we spend a lot of time thinking and praying about those who are lost, uh, but but for us, we, we, we need to be focused on sending people out and being equipped with the good news of Jesus. The danger of having just a mission focus over the next few weeks is that we'll just think about, oh, there's, there's workers overseas, there's workers who've stepped out in ministry, and they can do the work, and we'll support them, we'll, we'll give them money, we'll pray for them. But in actual fact, we've all been called to step into that mission. Are you with me? Francis Assisi um, said this, a missionary is not someone who crosses the sea, but it's someone who sees the cross. Not somebody who crosses the sea, but somebody who sees the cross. And I think if we realize what that means to be saved, as soon as we are saved, as soon as we're found in Christ, we are then commissioned to go and share the good news of Jesus. And we're going to spend the next few Sundays putting that challenge out there and packing what it means to be everyday missionaries. And today we're going to start in the book of Romans in chapter 10. And turn to it and get ready for it before we read it, but I just want to set the scene. Romans chapter 10. The Apostle Paul has written this letter and he's, he writes it to the church in Rome. He's in Corinth at the time, but he wants to go and visit them. And um, he writes this letter. It's a theological masterpiece. An incredible book, and it sets out the truth of the gospel after Jesus has come, he's died for us, he's risen again. Paul has laying out everything that what the gospel means, and in all of these chapters leading up to chapter 10, he's basically unpacking that the gospel is not earned by works or obeying the Old Testament law, but it is given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. That we are saved by faith and faith alone. And this is what is discussed in Romans And then comes the question, so if we are saved by faith, what happens if we haven't heard? If we don't know about the gospel? What if we've been living our lives by the laws and trying to earn our salvation? What if nobody tells us the truth? And then Paul writes these words, which we're going to read together in Romans 10, verses 9 through 15. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you, but if you do, turn with me. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. If you were here with us last week when I preached uh, the sermon last week, I talked about the readiness to share the gospel. I talked about how beautiful are the feet who brings the good news. Isaiah 52 verse 7 and Ephesians 6 verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Be ready to share the good news. So this title of this sermon this week is that we have a message to share. We have a message to share. We are a people with a message to share. The scripture tells us clearly that there is, um, the lost are found by hearing and responding to the gospel. And they hear by the preaching of the word. In the original Greek language that Roman, uh, Romans was written, it, it, and the word preach means, it, it means to be a herald or, or to announce something. 
And you know those who speak different languages, you often understand that, that, that sometimes there's a word in the original language that never really full, fully translates into English. And um, so it's translated into English as preach, but it mistakenly thinks that, 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 that this word preach is associated from what I'm doing right now, standing at the front here preaching to you publicly. But it actually is much more than that. It means this sense of sharing or being a herald or, or announcing something. Uh, and the danger is, I think, for many Christians, as we read these verses, um, well, that's what the preacher does. We'll, we'll leave it to them. The, the preacher goes around and, and, and shares and, and tells people what they need to hear. Uh, and we count ourselves sort of off the hook because I, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a public speaker. Um, and that's for, that's for those people. But understand this. Proclaiming the gospel is not reserved for the preacher or the evangelist or the person at the front with the mic. Every Christ follower is commissioned to go and be a witness for Jesus to those around him, to share the good news to those in our immediate sphere and also to the ends of the earth. So if you call Crossroads home and you've been here for a while and you believe in the vision of this church, um, we, we are all striving to be a community of people fully committed to following Jesus and actively sharing his love and serving others. So what does that mean? Uh, there's another author, Dave Watson, a couple of decades ago. He wrote a book called I Believe in Evangelism. And he put it in here, This he's, he used this as an illustration of power, if we could. Let's understand that we are commissioned for missions. We are, we are, it is command from God to step out in the great commission. Because it describes that if you picture someone who's in a, a really gifted evangelist, let's think of Billy Graham, very well known. And every day he holds a meeting and he shares the gospel. And about a thousand people respond. That would be incredible, right? You can't answer me, it's okay. That would be incredible, right? Oh, fantastic. Then a thousand people responded that first night. And then the next night, there's another thousand people responded. And, and so on and so on. How long would it take for Billy Graham to reach the world? Well, the answer is if the population stayed static... And I know this is just a wee bit out from the, this is quoted from a book, so it's just out of, there's a few more people in the world now since this book was written. But it would take about 10,000 years. So we're a bit out of luck. We're a bit out of luck for that one person to be able to reach the whole world, right? But if we understand our, that we are commissioned to reach people, every Christian, imagine this, if every Christian in the world reached one person a year, and when that person becomes a Christian, they reach someone the next year. And so on and so on. How many years do you think it would take to reach the whole world? 32 years. 32 years. It's incredible, right? It's incredible, right? So I had to go figuring it out for Palmerston North in our context here at Crossroads. And I am nervous because I know there's lots of accountants and mathematicians out there. So say, for example, of this church, 800 adults, this included morning church and night church, and we decided that we would take the gospel seriously and we'd reach one person a year every year. We took the Great Commission really seriously, and then next year, and next year, and next year, and so on. We could reach the whole city of Palmerston North in seven years, by 2030. Just one person a year. Just let that sink in. It's manageable, isn't it? If we take it seriously. One person a year, seven years, by 2030, we'll share the gospel with one person a year. I believe we're, we can do that. Do you? Oh, you don't sound convinced. Do you? I want to leave you with three things that's going to equip us to do that. Firstly, we're going to proclaim the word. We're going to proclaim the word. You see, we don't proclaim any old news. We've got good news to share. The good news of God, the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. We've got good news to share. And that gospel word is an Anglo-Saxon word. And uh, in the Greek, it's euangelion, um, which is where we get the word evangelist or uh, evangelism from. But the gospel word is also an Anglo-Saxon word. And we translate it back into English. It actually literally means God spell. Uh, being a story not a magic spell. It's a story, all right? A good story to tell is what it translates to. 
It is good news. And it's the thread that's running right through the whole of the Scriptures, right from the Old Testament to the New Testament, right to Revelation that we have in the Bible, that there's a loving God who's trying to reach humankind with the gospel. And over the last few years, with, with COVID and everything else that's going on, I feel, and I don't mean just crossroads here, I mean the church in general, I feel like we've got a bit, little bit distracted. You know, with lockdown, vaccine mandates, what's going on in the government and all those things. But I really feel the church is saying this. The gospel still works. The gospel still works. You see, um, I felt this on my heart a couple of years back to, to discuss this. And we began praying as a leadership. Uh, and we wanted to know how we can continually just focus on the mission that God has called us to be on. And we were prayed and we prayed and we remained focused. And guess what happened? People started coming to faith. People started coming to faith. People were baptized. We've got another baptism service tonight. It's exciting. Come on, let's give some praise, some round of applause for that one. That's great. We've seen children come to faith over in our kids' church. It's good, right? So good. We've seen elderly people who've committed their lives to Jesus. We've seen young people come back to the church and give their life to Jesus. God's on the move. He's on the move. And I want to tell you today, remember, the gospel still works. No government, no business, no charity, no funding, no social system can fix the brokenness of the human heart. They can't do it. Only the gospel addresses the issue of the human heart. Only the gospel can change the human heart. And yes, of course, we must try to help people and fix things along the way. We are living in a broken world, and as we as Christians should be at the forefront of trying to do better and help the issues that are around the place. But it's more than money, and it's more than economics. It's not social. It's not racial. It's not um, ecological or societal or political. The issue of the human heart is sin. That is our issue. And every human religion is built on the premises, how do I get to God? How do I reach God? How do I get to Him? But our gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, is that He came for us. It's incredible. We were sinners. I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I cannot make my way to God. There's nothing that I can do or say that can earn my place in the relationship with God. But the gospel tells me that he came to us through Jesus. And he entered into this world and he never sinned. And he trailblazed the way for us. And he showed us that we can have live in this new life. And he willingly died on the cross for us. And sin died with him. He dealt with sin on the cross. And he rose again victorious. And now we can live in the victory that we are free from the power of sin. And in our lives. You see, it's a better story, our story, than the, the, the story the world has to offer. Our culture is telling us a story. We have a better version of that. You see, this, our culture tells us things like this. It's telling our children through media, th- through um, their education, and, and, and through, through different means that, that personal happiness is found within themselves. There's a, there's a real stench of me culture around the place. That I can be whoever I want to be. I can be my authentic selves. That you can be fully yourself. Whatever you want to be, you can be. But it's flawed. It's flawed. Because I, I, when we, we cannot find the answers from within ourselves. It's not there. And we end up in more of a mess because we're all sinners. And there's a better message for the world. Better news. And it's truly good. What is it? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it sets us free from ourselves. It's what we truly need. I don't need more of me. I need less of me. And I need more of him as my savior. We have a better message to share. And that's why, and I I hope I uh, stick by this for the rest of my life, that I'll never be ashamed of the gospel. Paul wrote in the start of Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And our world may tell me that I am bigoted, I'm old-fashioned, I'm out of date, but I still believe the gospel works. The gospel works, and it's good news for the world, and we've got to be people who are sharing it. We have a message to share, and it's good news. And by the way, I'm really sorry, but you need to be ready to share the gospel. I'm not sorry at all, actually. You need to be ready to share the gospel. 
As Christians, every Christian should be willing to share and explain the gospel. And I wonder today, are you able to summarize the gospel? Are you able to share the good news of Jesus to someone in your workplace, in your family? How can I be saved? Would you know how to answer the question? Would you be able to explain it to me? Can you explain it to me? And would you do it if the opportunity came up? Well, have I got news for you today? I'm going to explain it to you through a video. And over the last um, uh, way training that we had together, and uh, I know there's been discussion about this already this morning, which is exciting. And um, we're going to bring some clarity because I think there's been some confusion what this video actually um, represents. But um, Nick and Sarah shared with us a simple tool how to share the gospel, and I want to share it with you this morning. So take a look at the screen as we, as we learn. If you turn on the television or look at your Facebook feed, it's very clear that we live in a broken world. There's a lot of death, a lot of disease and suffering. But we also see traces of beauty, like the beauty of a sunset or the laugh of a child. And that's because God's design was perfect when he made it. There was no death or disease or suffering. But starting with the very first people, we as humans chose to go our own way and leave God's perfect design. And that's called sin. And, and sin is what led to brokenness in our world and us and sinfulness. Well, we don't like to be in brokenness, this state that we're born in. So we try to get out. So for some, they try to get out on their own by climbing the ladder of success at work or school, thinking that'll get them out. Others try to get out themselves by doing good things or being religious and going to church and helping people. And while those are great things, they, they don't get us out of brokenness. Some try to drown out the brokenness with drugs and alcohol or attempts at suicide or, or maybe even relationships. And these attempts to get out of brokenness ourselves end up snapping us back in like a bungee cord. But God loved us so much, He didn't want us to stay in brokenness. So He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He provided the only way out. And that is through His Son, Jesus you see, Jesus came down into our world and allowed himself to be killed on a cross, taking on our sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And he declared that if anyone would turn from their way and surrender to him and believe that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead, would be willing to make him their king or their Lord, that they would be forgiven and made new. and would then be able to experience God's perfect design for their life. Now I want to ask you, which of these two would you say you're in? Are you still in brokenness? Or have you repented and believed in Jesus and are now back in His design? Okay, you're in brokenness. Well, which one of these two do you want to be in? Okay, great. Well, is there anything that keeps you from turning from your way and believing in the gospel of Jesus and making him your Lord, your King. Okay, great. You know, when I chose to make this decision, I prayed a simple prayer, very similar to this picture. I just told God that I'm sorry for my sin, that I left your design, and for the ways that I've tried to get out of brokenness on my own. I'm ready to turn from my way and surrender to you. And I believe this is true. And I want to make you my Lord so I can become new and experience your design for my life. Is that something you'd like to do? And then just pray with them. So this is the Three Circles Gospel presentation. If you turn on the television or look at your Facebook feed, pretty simple, isn't it? And um, yeah, last week someone did that with someone and they, they gave their life to Jesus. So it works. It's pretty simple. And, and, and it's a beautiful example. And it's just one example of how to share the gospel. And I want to touch a bit further on, on how to do that later on. 
But we should be a people who are ready to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need, we need to think about as we, as we step out as everyday missionaries is that we also need to understand that we proclaim as a witness. You see, some of Jesus' last words that he told to his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8 was, You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. We are witnesses. And you see, a witness is someone who's experienced or seen something and then recounts it. And what happens is when we think about sharing faith, we think about telling the gospel, we easily can get ourselves worked up and, and think that we need to explain the whole thing from Revelation or from Genesis to Revelation and we explain the theology of God and we need to, we, need to, we overcomplicate it. But where do we start? We start by simply sharing our story because your story is powerful. It's very, very powerful. And I wonder, have you told anybody your, your story recently? What, what God has done for you? How you encountered Jesus, how he picked you up, how he spoke to you, and how he led you maybe through a season or a, or a tough valley. Have you shared that with someone? You see, be ready, because we have a testimony to share. And we share what God has done for us. And we share how Jesus stepped in, and before Jesus, how we met Jesus, and after Jesus, and what our life is like now. It's simple just to share our story, to be a witness to that. You people may question your theology or ask you on your beliefs, but uh, often people will respect your story and your experiences. They might not agree with everything else, but they'll, they'll listen to your story. You've got a powerful tool um, in your story that you should use. Maybe you should think about um, and go away today and, and write your story down. Get yourself familiar with it. Think about how God has helped you through a difficult time, through a valley, or walked through with you in a situation. Think about what Jesus has done for you and how your life was before Jesus and how it is now. Have a go at writing it down. You see, it's not as, as common these days, and we heard it more and more as I was growing up as a kid, but instantly we meet people and, and we have these um, Holy Spirit moments where, where people are just come to faith in Jesus Christ right at their very moment and they're on their knees giving their life to Christ. Of course that can happen, and, and the Holy Spirit can lead us to those situations. But one of the ways that we can be effective uh, and I've seen it many times in my life, and I've had the privilege of being a part of people's stories as well. Just by simply sharing my story, what Jesus has done for my life, and saying that, you know, this is what I, I did on the weekend, or, or why, I, why I go to church, and, and these sort of natural small conversations are very helpful when it comes to sharing faith. You never know what part of that conversation will help tip the balance for someone to ask more questions. But we have to be ready and be brave and be bold in our conversations. You know, we're not asking for the next Billy Graham. But if you're here, that's great. But we're asking you to be willing to, to be witnesses, to testify what God's done in your life, to share your story. Share the example of this as, as in the gospel. Let people know what Jesus can do. Because unless we're sharing the story, people aren't going to find out these days. We can't assume that everyone knows about the Bible. We can't assume everyone knows the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember this, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. There's no such thing as a boring testimony. There's no boring testimonies. And I actually truly believe that the devil is afraid of your testimony. In Revelation, it tells us that we're overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony you see, the devil wants you to believe that your story doesn't have a relevance. It's not exciting enough. There's no power in your story, so don't share it. And I think we'll probably listen to that lie. But there is power in your story. Believe me with all my heart. For those who are born into Christian families, went to church, went to youth, then followed Jesus in your student days, you made a commitment, you got baptized, you're an adult and you still love Jesus and you've never walked away, you've never really had any big dramas, and you've never turned your back. Believe me, as a parent who is trying to bring up kids to follow Jesus, that is the most powerful story. You don't have to have gone off and done drugs and walked away and spent all your money and all those kinds of things. And that, of course, that's a powerful story. And there's power, but there is power in this simple obedience to Jesus, step by step. I love to hear that. And that's my prayer for my kids, that they won't walk away that they keep walking step and step because there's power in that story. It's not boring. 
It's not irrelevant. It's powerful. And we also celebrate those moments when we have people who, who have that prodigal son moment where they return back to Jesus after many years of being away and they get transformed by Jesus and we praise him for it. Because every soul matters. If we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved and we proclaim him as a witness. And the third thing and the last thing is that we proclaim with our walk. You proclaim with your walk. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Understand this. Everything in your life has a voice. Everything in your life has a voice. Everything. And probably louder than your ability to share the gospel, probably louder than your ability to share your story, is the way that you walk your life. Susanna Wesley, the, the mom of John Wesley, who was a famous theologian in the 1700s, amazing Christian lady, this is what she said. There's two things about the gospel that we need to understand. We need to believe it, and we need to behave it. We need to believe it, and we need to behave it. Make no mistake, as soon as you have faith in Jesus Christ, there's people who are watching you, watching you every single moment about your life and how, how your feet walk and the mark that you leave behind you and the impression that you leave on people. I remember being in a job before I came here to New Zealand and worked in church. And in this job that I was part of, people knew that I was a Christian. And I built up lots of relationships with people and I had opportunity to share. And it was, it was really, it was a good, good place to work. I enjoyed it. And I hope and I pray that I left a good example of what it is to be a Christian, how we're supposed to walk and how we're supposed to live. And they used to tease me about it and I'm okay with that. I had a great relationship with him. But the place before that I worked in, um, I remember walking in on, on day one, set, wanting to set a good example, saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. And the response from my boss was, oh, you're not one of those. It's actually not a laughing matter. It's really sad. Oh, you're one of those. You, don't, you know, there's, we've had people like you here before, and, and I don't know if I actually want to know many more Christians. Pretty sad, right? They left a bad witness. How does your work see you? Are you a good witness in the places that you walk? Are there places that your feet walk? There, sorry, there is places that your feet walk that mine will never walk. There are unique places around this, this city that God has placed you in, and you're in the middle of that to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I want to remind you that there is a bigger purpose and a mission to your life. You see, heaven's orchestrating your postcode. Heaven's been working together for the place that you're at work. Heaven's been working out at the desk that you're sitting on. The person that you sit next to in your, in your lunchtime. There's an opportunity for to share, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and you're leaving a footprint on people's lives. God is waiting for you to wait, wake up and share the good news of Jesus because we have a good message to share. There's a selection of the harvest field that's our responsibility, each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus. There's a harvest field here in Palmerston North, in this region. And there's sections that God has marked out for you. And he's looking to you to reach to the harvest, to share the good news of Jesus, to take this message that we have to share to others. We share as witnesses. We tell our story and we leave, we, we set out a walk and we walk the talk that we share. In the 13th century, I just love saying century after a number. It makes me sound really profound, doesn't it? In the 13th century, many of you will have heard of Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan built the largest empire that the world would, has literally ever seen. He ruled over two million people that stretched across from China to India to Serbia and right to the other edges of Europe. Huge landmass of the globe. And nobody ever ruled a bigger section of land in history than Genghis Khan. And then he passed on to his kingdom, the kingdom that he, he had inherited or that he had gained to his grandson called Cuba Khan. And Cuba Khan was ruling over these people and, and as time when he took on um, being king. And, and in Western Europe, there was this major resurgence of people coming to faith in Jesus. 
And the church was growing as, uh, at this time. There's a huge amount of mission work going on in Central Europe and different parts of Europe and beyond. And I guess it's what you would call a revival it was happening in Europe. People like Francis of Assisi, um, who are quoted earlier, were preaching and inspiring people. And thousands of people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And Cuba Khan had heard this and he had established his capital in Beijing. And there were two Italian brothers in his court. And they were the Polo brothers. They were serving in his court, and they would come. Uh, they would become the father and uncle of of Marco Polo, the great explorer. And Kubikan was um, said to uh, said that he was very interested to hear about this Christianity. And he said to the brothers, he said, "I want you to go back to Europe, and I want you to bring a hundred missionaries back here, so that you can spread the good news of Jesus around the place. Tell them the gospel." He said that when we learn about Christianity, there will be more Christians. Um, there will be more Christians in my empire than in all of Europe. And he was committed. He was going to roll out Christianity right across his whole empire. So the brothers, the Polo brothers, they they came back to Italy with this message, and they said, "We need a hundred missionaries to come with me, and we're going to spread the gospel across this region." But tragically, no one was interested. No one was interested. Finally, as the Polo brothers were about to head back, two people decided, two people decided that they would go with them. And as they were journeying, they got cold feet and they turned around and went back home. So then the two brothers, they eventually arrived back to Kubikan and they stood before him and he said, well, where's the missionaries? Where's these people ready to share the gospel of Jesus? And they had to say, sorry, nobody came. Nobody wanted to come. Eventually, some years later, a small handful of missionaries decided to get the call, and, 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 but it was too late. It was too late. Because what had happened is Cuba Khan had then explored Buddhism. And within a short time, he had adopted Buddhism as his empire's religion. This is a true story. It's known as the greatest missed opportunity in Christian history. Imagine what the world would have been like if the people had answered the call. Imagine what our world would look like today as we reflect on a story like that. Crossroads. May it never, ever, ever be that the people of Crossroads look back on church in 2023 and say that we missed an opportunity. Because God is stirring something and there's something happening in our city. May it never be that we didn't respond to the gospel to reach our city here in Palmerston North. That the call was lost because we didn't respond. We weren't brave enough to share our stories. We weren't brave enough to share what Jesus has done in our life. We weren't brave enough to share the gospel. Let's respond to this command that God has given to us in the Great Commission. I believe that there will be people here in this auditorium that will thank you for responding today. That will thank you for taking the message of Jesus seriously. And as you share the story, as you share the gospel, as you adjust your walk, that we'll be better witnesses in the places that we go, that we'll be people will come to this place and they'll say, thank you for playing a part of my journey. You see, church, I'm very, very thankful. I'm very, very thankful for the ordinary people who had a huge influence on my walk. You see, the Great Commission is not an option for us. It's a command to be obeyed invite the worship team up and today maybe maybe you know that you need to respond to this message for the very first time maybe you haven't been around church long or maybe you have been around church for a while and or maybe you've wandered off away from God maybe you want to take a moment now just to respond to the gospel the good news of Jesus you see we have an issue and it's a thing called sin and that separates us from God currently And if we haven't dealt with that sin in our lives, we are continually separated from him. And I want to give us an opportunity this morning to respond to that. You see, we read today that if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then we are saved. So that's what we're going to do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's bow our head and close our eyes and give some privacy, give people a moment between themselves and God. 
If you're here this morning and you haven't committed your fo- to following Jesus, and if you're saying, Jesus, please take my sin, I want to come to you, I want to be in a relationship with you, and I want to respond to the good news today. Well, I believe this moment is here for you this morning to do that. So let's take a moment to speak to God. You can say something along the lines of this, Father, I am I'm sorry for my sins. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in Jesus, that he walked this earth, that he died, and that he rose again. And I'm handing my life into your hands. I want to come to you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And today I respond to the good news of Jesus. Amen. If, if that's you and, and if, you've, if you've spent time with God this morning, then after the service, come and talk to us. We would love to journey with you. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to, to be on this, this journey of what it is to be followers of Jesus together. And it is the best decision that you'll ever make. But those of us who are followers of Christ, I want to pray for us that we are inspired to be everyday missionaries. So will you stand to your feet, please, as we pray? And as as always, if you feel comfortable, stretch out your arms as a way of responding and receiving from God. And may His Spirit speak true into your hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will just give us a passion and a vision to share the kingdom of God. Lord, give us passion to to share the good news of Jesus that that is the best news that anyone can ever receive. Lord, may we be bold in sharing our stories. Lord, equip us by your Spirit to have those conversations that would God willing lead people to know you. Grant us a stirring within our own spirits, Lord, that we may proclaim your love so that we can impact the city here in Palmerston North. Lord, I pray that your spirit will make us wise, that your spirit will guide us, that your spirit will strengthen us, and we may be strong in our faith and courageous in our witness. Lord, we recognize you as our as our God. We recognize that your spirit can come with us. We recognize that we look to you for our strength and you empower us. That may, may we go out of this place and impact the kingdom of God for your glory and your glory alone. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus and all God's people said. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.